Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Fairmount Plus. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast. A podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things. All while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. Welcome, Francesca. I'm so happy to have you here. And let's start it off very like in just a weird, but I get to have a celebratory glass of wine today. Yay! Thanks for having me. Yes, I'm really excited. I was going through your website, your social media, and every time I meet with somebody and I go through all of those things, it always just kind of reaffirms why I do this and why I have this podcast and the people that I've gotten to meet. It's been so, it's like such an honor and such a pleasure for every person that has taken the time to come on the podcast. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Before we get, you know, into the cheesement and before we get into all that, you know, I have to go into my wine and I want to finish this bottle. And this is a bottle of Javier San Pedro Randes. It's a Tempranillo 2018 Rioja out of Spain. Mm, that sounds good. Yes. I'm in full transparency. I like was a dork and barely brushed my teeth like 45 minutes ago. <laughs> and I have drank water because I was trying to rinse off the thing. But let's, I'm going to, you know, I got to see if how it's going to affect the wine. So It'll change. This, this could be a cleansing drink, the first yes. one. And I know you're not drinking today, but salud. Cheers with my water. I'm sorry, but I'm there in spirit drinking with you. Yes. Look, I never force anybody. I think everybody, you know, first of all, we can't. Like, why would I force anybody? It just gives me an excuse to continue to drink wine. So, <laughs> I mean, I wish I could drink right now. It's a rainy day. It's cozy. It's chilly. Like, I would love to have some nice red wine with you. Yeah. <laughs> but we went out last night and we went to that new spot. Um, what's it called? Warmwood? I think it's Oh, called. yeah. It, how was it? It's like an absinthe restaurant. It's where Jane's Gastro Pub used to be in San Diego. It was really, really good until the middle of the night. All of a sudden, like I just started feeling horrible. We did drink though. So I don't, I think it was the mix of the drink with like too much eating. We kind of overstuffed ourselves to try everything. So I'm just trying to be really healthy today. If I have any ounce of wine, I will feel horrible, but I wish I could. I join. don't want you to feel horrible. And <laughs> let me just say, I hope that the wine, I've tasted this wine before and it is good. This first sip after <laughs> brushing your teeth is not good. <laughs> yeah, that's never good. The taste, yeah, it's no bueno, no bueno. So <laughs> I don't suggest it, everybody. I'm just letting you know. I do it so you don't have to. <laughs> I'm going to have to try that, that wine. Yeah, it's actually really good. But you're in San Diego, which is 
like I said, I was not paying attention when I was reading it, but now that means we're just going to have to get together for wine. Yeah. 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 You know, an excuse. But let me read for wine excuses. Oh girl. Yes. (laughs) So let me read Francesca's bio before we get into all of the chisme. Francesca is a Mexican American fashion and lifestyle blogger born and raised in California. She's been blogging for over 10 years now and works full-time sharing her styling and photography tips with her community. She also is a huge lover of interior decor and recently started a home decor company with her husband called Casa Brixe, which they started during the pandemic, which is always interesting. She's always wanted to find a way to highlight Mexico and show a part of it that a lot of people may not be familiar with. They were able to get in contact with a a female-run collective in Oaxaca that makes handmade wool rugs and started importing them to sell in the U.S. She now works full-time running both her blogging business and her rug company. Her dream is to eventually grow into a larger home decor company that not only sells rugs, but also showcases other pieces from artisans all over Mexico. I love that. And I did go, believe me, I did go to your website uh, (laughs) and look at the rugs and everything. So you say you were born and raised in California. Are you from San Diego originally or a different part of California? No, I was born and raised in San Diego. I've been here all my life. I left like during college and I traveled for a few years, but I came back here. So I've always been here. What part of San Diego did you grow up in? I grew up in a couple different spots. So I spent my first like 12 years in La Jolla and then I moved to Coronado and then I spent some years actually in Tijuana. But then came back um, and now I was in North Park for a while um, and now I'm in Chula Vista. So all over. Those are very vast different areas, especially going from La Jolla to Coronado to Tijuana. Oh, it was like really shocking, actually. (laughs) But it was great to like be in Mexico, you know, like actually live there. It was nice. And then. But yeah, it was very different, especially also corn like Chula Vista from like North Park and La Jolla. It's just such different pockets of San Diego. Yeah. Let me ask you, going from La Jolla to Coronado, those are more predominantly Caucasian areas. Hmm. Did you ever see, especially if you went to school in those areas, did you see yourself reflected at all within those neighborhoods or within those schools or within the teachers? Or is that, is that something that you ever Um, thought of? So it's when my experience was interesting in both of them, because La Jolla has, from what I experienced when I was younger, has a very uh, Latin, there's a lot of Latin people there. And so you've got like people from South America, you've got like people from Miami, you've got people from you know, Mexico city. So I grew up with people that were like Peruvian, Brazilian and Mexicans. And that was who my family hung out with. But in my school, there wasn't a lot of Mexicans. It was mostly white kids, but there were enough people that were not white that I didn't feel weird at all until I got older. And then I look back and I'm like, Oh, I was actually, I look back at my photos. It's funny. Cause I look back at my photos and I'm like the only Brown girl, you know, like with darker skin and like look different, but I never felt that I guess. Cause I grew up there and I was like, so acclimated to everything. And then when I moved to Coronado, Coronado has a very, very strong Mexico base. Like there are a lot of Mexicans. So there's a very strong Caucasian population. There's a lot of military. There's a lot of like uh, religious, 
you know, Caucasian, but there's also like strong Mexico city and Tijuana, which, um, for me was my place. So I always kind of felt at home and everywhere you went, it's such a small place that everywhere you go, you would see people from Mexico and everybody just knew each other. Like, I don't know if you, a lot of people know this, but some people don't. So I don't know if you're familiar with this, but like in Coronado in front of state beach, there's those big towers and they call them taco towers. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they call it that because it's all Mexicans there that live there. So I would go to that beach and just feel like I was at home because everyone would come from Mexico City in the summer and like hang out there. And I don't know. I never really felt I always found my people, I guess I would say. But when I'm now older and I'm kind of stepped out of those bubbles, I see it a little clearer and I'm like, oh, well, the, the contrast is it's very separated. Yeah, I agree with you because I grew up in Escondido. And me, I met up with friends that I've known since like third grade or something like that. And we were talking and one is Vietnamese, one is Filipino, I'm Mexican. And we all found each other, right? Like this was the group that we hung out with when when I was younger. And we were saying like, we never felt different because when I think, first of all, hate is taught, right? You as a child, you don't go around thinking oh, well, this person has a different skin color, so I don't like them. This person is blah, blah, blah. You just hang out with people. But it all, we were talking about how all of us kids that were different ethnicities that weren't white, we all found each other. And so we didn't feel that way because, but then when you come out of your bubble, like you said, mm-hmm. then you look back and you're like, oh, that's crazy. Because you don't think that way when you're a kid. And I wish we would continue, like when we grow up, would continue that, right? Where you just, yeah. like, I like somebody because I like somebody. And so obviously there's a lot of people that do, but then there's a lot of people that don't. And there's a lot of times you reflect back and you're like, oh, wow. Like I didn't see anybody who looked like me or sounded like me or anything like that. But it makes me, I love that you were always able to kind of find your people. So you didn't feel ostracized or you didn't feel different. I think that's the most important thing is not feeling like you're not being made to feel like you're different. Yeah. I think also I was very lucky in a sense, because obviously that's not the experience for everybody in San Diego. Luckily, San Diego is a border town, so we have a good diverse mix, but. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. For instance, my brother, I found he's three years older than me, but he actually went to a different school that was across the street from my school in La Jolla. And they pulled him out within like a year. And I, when I was younger, didn't think anything of it. And when I got older, I was like, Hey, how come he never stayed there? And my mom said, because they were really racist. They were really mean to him. They treated him different. Even the teachers would like bully him and we pulled him out immediately. And so there was that society there. I just, I luckily wasn't a part of it. It didn't happen to me. So yeah, I, my parents were careful also, you know? Oh yeah. You know, your parents want to protect you as much as possible. So you don't have to go through certain things. What would you say your most, like going through all of those things, your most challenging obstacle growing up was? 
I think for me, a big obstacle was that I grew up in San Diego, right? I grew up around a lot of white kids and white culture. And even though I had all my Latin people around me, I initially, because I went to like an American school in La Jolla, spoke more English. And a lot of my family was always yelling at me. And they even like, they would tell my grandma, like, stop speaking your English, speak to her in Spanish. Like she needs to get better at Spanish. And it was so bad that I was the only one in my family that wasn't fluent. Like I was fluent. I understood it and I could speak, I could speak to you, but I was constantly messing up words. And it was so bad that my family's nickname for me, my family calls me Chesca on my dad's side instead of Francesca. And so instead of saying La Chesca, they would call me El Chesco or El Chesca. Like, and so they would use the wrong pronoun in front of things just to make fun of me. And everybody knew me as El Chesca because I just didn't understand the El and La and, you know, the feminine, masculine things of, of uh, speaking in Spanish. And it didn't bother me for a while. It was fine. I was like, whatever. I live in the US. I don't have perfect Spanish. It doesn't matter. I can, you know, I'm fine. I'm Mexican enough. And then when I got to high school, that was kind of where I saw more of the split. I guess it was just so much more people. And I'm not in like a 30 class. It's more like a hundred people, or I don't even know how many kids we had, but I saw more of the split of people that spoke Spanish and people that did it. And there was like the white kids, the Asians, the black kids, the Mexicans, you know? And so I found myself to hang out with the Mexicans and I would get made fun of so much for how I spoke. And I remember being like, okay, that's it. I'm not, I don't want to be this person anymore. I don't want to be like not Mexican enough. I don't want to be not, you know, and that, I think that's stupid, <laughs> but totally. you know, it, it was something that I was like, I'm just, I'm sick of this. So for me, there was this huge turmoil that happened. And there was like a, there was a time in my life where I was shifting to realizing that there was that dynamic and then my parents split up and my mom moved to Tijuana. That's why I ended up moving to Tijuana. Uh, she got remarried to somebody over there and I got fully immersed into the Mexican culture. And that's when it like really hit me because everybody was just like, oh, you're so good guy. You don't even like, you can't even say, roll your R's correctly. And um, so that was my biggest struggle in moving from different places and being like Mexican in the U.S. and then having to deal with the cultures and and all that. And now after a while, I ended up going to college in Mexico in uh, Monterrey for two years. And that was when like, it really solidified. And I was like, okay, I can speak better. Like I'm fully involved in this now. Like I'm good, but it took a while and it was really, um, stressful for a while. Girl, I can relate to that so much because, you know, being second generation, my parents would get in trouble speaking Spanish. So they didn't want us to get in trouble and they thought they would speak it more than they actually did at home. So yeah, yeah, my accent has always been good, but the conjugations have not always been the best. Yeah, it's difficult. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh, there's so many different ones. And even to this day, my Spanish is far from perfect. Oh my gosh, it's far from perfect. But when I go to Mexico or what, you know, I usually don't have a problem or sometimes there might be a word and you figure, you know, word or two, you figure it out, but no, I get that. And that like, I feel the not feeling Latina enough. I totally feel that. But I think there comes a point in your, you know, you're just like, you know what? My Latinidad does not depend on how well my Spanish is. 
you exactly. still want to speak it. Yes, you still want to practice it and all of those things, but it's not dependent on that. And that yeah. hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. And and now it's gotten to the point where like, if somebody corrects me, I'm like, ah, you know what I mean? Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Girl, I'm the same. And my friends would, but like their parents. So a lot of me was like my parent, my friend's parents would make like force me to speak Spanish to them because a lot of them also didn't speak very good English. So they would speak Spanish to me. And so I would have to. And the older my grandpa got, the more Spanish, like the less English he would speak and the more Spanish he would speak. Oh, uh, yeah. So, the you know, kind of all of those things. Like my and, sisters don't speak a lick of Spanish. And it's interesting because like, my brother speaks perfect Spanish. So that's funny. But it's interesting because like also I'd be in class and me and my Mexican friends would be speaking Spanish to each other. And then somebody would come by and be like, you're in America, speak English. And then I'd be speaking English you know, at the same school with like somebody that speaks Spanish, but we'd be speaking English to each other just because, you know, you speak both languages. So sometimes mm-hmm. we speak English, sometimes we speak Spanish. And then a Mexican would come by and be like, speak Spanish. Like, why are you guys speaking English to each other? It's just like, you can't win. Like you, you never get enough. Yeah. It's that whole remember with uh, when you, in the movie, Selena, I think we've talked about this before. Like I've talked about it before on the, on the podcast when, you know, her dad's like, you know, here we're not American enough. And when we go to Mexico, they make fun of us because we get the runs when we, you know, like it's never enough. It's like this being bicultural. And I don't know, I would love to, I would love to talk to other people. And I probably, I need to make an effort, more of an effort because I've had people of all ethnicities, of various ethnicities on the podcast, but I don't know. And I know I've had some people say that they've dealt with the same thing within like the Asian community or other communities of not being whatever enough, right? But it's never enough. We can, you know, and that's when you have to just kind of be secure in the person that you are, because if we're always relying on validation from the outside, we're going to freaking be depressed all the time. Yeah, it's true. You just got to... Be, be like, it is what it is. I am who I am and be proud of who you are. Really? So you said you went to college in Mexico in, in Monterrey. Mm-hmm. What was that experience like of going to college? Because I know oftentimes like their college is very, very different in regards to what we have here. Oftentimes when they're going to college, they're already going to like, if they're going to be a doctor, they're already going to medical school right after college. Mm-hmm. So what kind, did you go to a specific kind of college when you were there? And what was your, what was that experience of going to college in Monterrey? Um, University. So let me just, I feel like part of me wants to watch what I say because I personally didn't love it. So I don't know if I'm, I don't want to like offend anybody, but no, but it's okay because that's your experience and nobody can take that away from you. If you like it or didn't like it, just like somebody can say, I didn't like Miami. It was too, whatever. I'm not saying that, but I'm, you know, so it's just your experience. Well, from one thing I thought that was really interesting for one, I didn't go like, there's like really amazing colleges out there that are like legit, like really good. Mine was great, but mine was more of like arts-based and I actually studied graphic design. And one thing that I personally didn't love because I did go to school for a few years in the U S and then I took a few years there and then I came back and did like study abroad within the San Diego, which was really funny from Mexico. But one thing that I noticed was that 
the school that I personally went to and the city that I was in, the city is widely known in Mexico to be for, you know, the rich kids in Mexico. Like it's like the one percenters of Mexico and they're all there and they're very sheltered and, you know, not that that's a bad thing, but they live in a very specific bubble of Mexico. And when I went there, I realized that a lot of the women that were there were there just to waste time almost like some of them took it very seriously, but I feel like those people went to like the serious colleges. I didn't realize when I went to mine, it, it just felt I'd go to class and sometimes they'd be like, Oh, um, did you guys do the homework you did? And I spent the whole night doing it, like dying, getting the work done. And then they'd be like, Oh, profe, we forgot. There was a huge party. Like, sorry, can we just turn it in two days? And he'd be like, oh, okay. So it wasn't like very professional. And the women were always talking about like, oh, who they're dating and I'm getting engaged soon and I'm getting married and showing each other their rings in class and stuff. And I just knew it was a mientras me caso thing, Mm -hmm. you know, like these women are just waiting to get married. A lot of them. I'm not, I don't want to generalize and say all of them, but that was my, um, what I noticed. And I was kind of frustrated because I really wanted to, I've always been really, really independent. I've always wanted to like make my own money, make myself and like not depend on a man. And that's something that is like heavily in the Mexican culture, you know, like you find your man to support you and you provide for him. And, and I'm glad that's like, not like the total norm anymore, but it's still very much there. And so that was very frustrating for me because I wanted to learn and I wanted to learn from my teachers and they didn't even take us seriously. So that was my experience with Mexico. Apart from like the education, I did love the way the, like, it was just, everyone was your family there in a way, you know, as it is in any part of Mexico, like it's just such a family-based thing. All our doors were always open. We were always like people coming in and out of the house. I was always surrounded by people. I didn't miss my family because like my friends became my family there. And it was, it was really nice to be a part of that culture in that town, but it was, it was a wild ride. Cause it was like such a different thing than I was used to and just such a different culture and totally different, but very learning experience also. Yeah. I actually know it kind of sounds like a combination of like the party schools here, but also that I know that there's some, cause I've had friends that went to them, like some Christian based schools here that literally many of the women go to college still to this day, even in those colleges here in the U S go to those colleges looking for a husband. Like that's why they go to those schools because they know that they'll end up, they'll leave college married. Yeah. I remember my mom would call me. I had been there like a year and a half and she's like, are you dating anyone? I'm like, no. She's like, I don't understand. You're like in the prime city to find somebody. How are you not dating anyone? I was like, I just don't, I'm not vibing. I don't know. (laughs) I'm not finding anyone. But I think that was the plan that my parents had. You know, Ah, I think it was like a little, little let's ship her up to Mexico and she'll come back with a husband. Yeah. (laughs) Instead, I came back here and married a gringo. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> worked out maybe for me, my though. parents are like why didn't you do that a long time ago they're probably <laughs> if, if I were to tell them they'd be like so go <laughs> yeah just go it'll work go still I love the I mean I love hearing those stories because everybody obviously has different perspectives and different experiences and that's like so important I know you obviously started this 
business with these handmade wool rugs and everything during the pandemic. But before we get really into that, growing up, did you have an eye for, because you say you like interior design, you've done this. Is that something growing up you kind of always leaned into? Were you somebody who was like always redecorating their room or always trying to do stuff? Like how, like what was the thing that you kind of leaned into when you were a kid growing up? You know, it's funny because I never thought that I was into interior design. It was never something that I was like, this is what I like. I never really thought that. When I look back at it though, now that you're saying, were you always redecorating your room? Yes, I was. I would paint like the walls and do everything. And my mom luckily let me have creative freedom in my room. I remember one time my favorite room was, it was like sponge design, turquoise walls, and it looks like an ocean. And then my sheets were like, I don't know if you've ever seen, there's like silk printed graphic of dolphins in water. It was like sheets. No, but I can imagine. (laughs) It looks like straight photo, but onto sheets. So my sheets were dolphins in the water. And then I had like one of those fish light up things that spins and it looks like there's fishes going on in the whole room. So I always kind of went hard with my themes in my rooms. Um, And then I think, So as a kid, I guess I, I was into it, but I didn't really lean into it until I started living alone. And that was because I was like, Oh, it's my space. I want to start decorating. I started decorating. And then once I started blogging, um, I have my fashion lifestyle blog. I started to kind of share spaces that I was living in and people seemed to find that interesting. So then I started to spruce up my space and and give it my own taste. And I started realizing that people were really resonating with it. And so I started getting featured on like urban outfitters, like home and stuff on Instagram. And I was like, okay, I guess I have something here. Like maybe I should go with it. And then my husband was like, at the time, my boyfriend, he's like, you are actually really good at like curating spaces. Like you should lean into that. And I was like, oh, I guess, I guess I am, but only for myself. I'm not, you know, I, I don't think I'd be good doing that like as a job interior designer, maybe, but um, I do love curating my own space very much. And I have a very distinct style of what I like. And I, I love to look at patterns and colors and like what, like, and if I'm walking my dogs, I'm so that peeping Tom that will like stare into somebody's house and be like, <laughs> how are you decorating? <laughs> Love it. I so don't have that eye. I I just know for me, I like people feeling comfortable. I want people to like, I know the vibe I want to get. Right. So when I, when there's still like a big giant blank wall in my house that I've been trying to find the right thing to go on for like over two years now, (laughs) but I am that person. I'm like, I want this to have kind of the beachy vibe and I want people to feel very comfortable. I want it to have that beachy vibe without being like crazy obvious, right? Without being like having a photo of the beach and having like, I don't want that. I just want that vibe. So I went with the colors of those things. And even like my TV stand, it looks like it's like weathered wood. It's like that gray and it looks kind of weathered. I love that. So I just kind of know the vibe that I want, but when it comes to, and then I obviously have my whole little wine section. (laughs) Gotta have it. I have, I mean, who would I be if I did not have that? Right. (laughs) But yeah, but as far as like, oh, this whole decorating thing, I just, I so don't know what I'm doing. I feel like I just kind of put things together because I, I just know how I want to feel. Right. I know I want people to feel comfortable. 
I do have another question, but let me, so let me ask. So when you has, have you ever had friends that come and ask you, or is that what you go for when you are redecorating or whatever, whether it's a space or are you going for a feeling? Are you trying to evoke a feeling? Or are you just saying like, I think this is cool and this is what I want to change it to? Well, it's evolved within the past like three years, especially with the pandemic. My brain has like shifted to what I want. Um, I've just like been yearning for minimal style ever since the pandemic, I think, because my brain's like overwhelmed. But honestly, I think it had more to do with creating Instagrammable spaces, if I'm being completely honest. <laughs> no, I love, first of all, <laughs> let me just say thank you for being honest. I love that. I wouldn't say I'm very, that's why I wouldn't work as an interior designer because I don't think I'm very savvy as far as like knowing really, I've learned throughout this process of what works and what doesn't in like design rules and asking some of my friends that are really good at it for advice and stuff. But when I started getting into it, like I said, it was because I wanted to start sharing parts of my life with people online. So I would see something that I liked on a website, a magazine or Pinterest and be like, I kind of like that vibe. I want to try to recreate that. Like, I obviously like that. Let me, let me try that. So I would kind of do that and try to do little spaces that would come out in my YouTube videos or like maybe it was just my bed. And so there'd be little sections of my house that were almost like little staging areas, you know? And then as time went on, I started to realize that I was really into the mid-century plant lady look. And I was like, okay, this is my jam. <laughs> and it also had a lot to do with my husband because my husband and I had clashing when I moved in with him. That's when like everything kind of solidified because we had clashing vibes. Like he loved very bachelor, almost it was weird. It was like bachelor dark blues and blacks with like pops of red kind of like inspired by Japan. Um, he's obsessed with Japan. So he would have like all these little things like that. But it was very anime. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. But it was so masculine that I was like, we got to change everything in here. This is way too much for me. (laughs) And at the time when we, I moved in, I was obsessed with Parisian, like rustic look, kind of bohemian, rustic Parisian. And he hated that. He's like, it's so tacky. It's so cheesy. Everyone does that. So I was like, all right, well, we got to find like a middle ground here. What's a great middle ground. And, and that's kind of how we came across doing mid-century modern with like plants, because I was like, well, it's a little bohemian, but it's got the like, you know, rough lines that you like it's neutral colors. So it works for both you and I, we can, it can be very masculine and feminine at the same time. So that's kind of what I just ended up leaning into and it really worked for me. And then now I find myself really liking more minimal spaces and more artisanal textile kind of stuff. So I think it's kind of shifting a little to that. And I think it has a lot to do with actually all my traveling in Mexico and going in Mexico, going back to like Casa, Casa Brige, like when we travel in Mexico, I just love the way that the textures and, and the way everything is put together. It's so beautiful and it feels so fresh and clean. And so that's kind of something I've been wanting to incorporate into my life. So prior to you starting the blog and obviously prior to Casa Brige, did you, was there a time where you worked in corporate or did you really kind of just go from come back from Mexico and you're like, you know what? Cause I know you said previously, you always wanted to do your own thing. 
it sounded like instantly you you just knew you didn't want to work in corporate. Like from the get-go, you knew you always wanted to run your own thing. So was there a time between starting your blog and and obviously prior to Casarije, was there a time where you worked at like a traditional corporate or did you work anywhere else? Or were you just like from the get-go, this is what I'm doing and I'm just putting all my eggs in this basket? Um, no. So I did always know I wanted to work for myself. I just didn't know how or what I wanted to do. There was a lot of like uh, trying to discover myself period that happened throughout college and a few years after college. Um, it was really difficult because at the time I loved fashion and I knew I love photography, fashion, graphics. I got into graphic design because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I knew that with graphic design, I could freelance, I could do typography, I could do magazine covers, I could edit for somebody. Like there were so many different things that I could do that I felt that I would have a lot of, um, chance for switching around or, you know, just since I didn't know what I wanted to do, I was like, at least this way, there's a lot that I can do with this. So that's why I settled on that. And then when I graduated during the time that I was studying graphic design to when I graduated, I was kind of getting into the blog world. I was kind of seeing it and trying to become a part of it. But at the time, fashion blogging wasn't really a thing necessarily. There were a few girls that were doing it, but they weren't even sharing anything. And you didn't really know they were making money from it. It was kind of like an unknown thing. Um, and the term influencer wasn't around yet. So it was kind of like, what is this? I sensed something. I was like, I like this. I'm drawn to this. I don't know why I'm going to mess with it. Can I make money with it? I have no idea. So I just kind of like did it on the side and I knew I always kind of wanted to lean fully into it, but I didn't know. I knew my parents would be like, what are you doing? Like, you can't make money with that. You're crazy. And I really couldn't justify it either. So I kept going to school. I went to graphic design school. And then I went to, I interned for a couple of graphic design, small boutiques and firms and stuff, a couple different ones. And I just didn't like that feeling. I always knew I wouldn't want to work with like a nine to five job and have a boss on top of me. And I really didn't like the fact that it took all the creativity away in a, in a sense, because you're working with clients that don't know anything about design and they expect you to do something that is on their brain. And so really I wasn't creating for myself. I was creating for them in a way that was like corporate down, you know what I mean? Like very, in a very corporate way. And I was like, I, I can't do this. I can't do it. So I quit. And, um, I did many different things. I actually, until then was, um, what's the word I was supported by my parents until then. And then I just kind of went haywire and I was like, Nope, I'm not doing that. I don't, I don't want it. I don't care what you guys think. Like, I don't want your support. I don't want your money. I'm not doing this. Like I'll, I'll find my way. And they're like, you're crazy. What are you doing? I was kind of flailing, but with a purpose in a way, like I always knew there was like an end result to it. And I was just like, I just, this is not what I want to do. Their path that they had for me was not what I saw. So I worked as a waitress for a while and I worked at Michael Kors for a long time, like three years, maybe. I think I was waitressing for two years and I even Ubered for a while. So I was doing at one point, three, four different jobs because I kind of had in my mind, the only way that I saw myself being able to support myself was kind of in a funnel. So I started one job that would support the other, that would support the other and the support the other. And eventually I was able to 
save up enough money to buy photography equipment. And I ended up learning so much because I was on my free time taking photos and trying to do the blog thing and shadowing other photographers to learn from them. And I ended up learning so much that I I said, you know what, I have enough knowledge to take photos of people. So I started to become a wedding photographer on the side, which made a lot of money. And that money ended up funding my blog. And so it was kind of like a weird jumbled different steps that I took to fund each thing. And, uh, my blog eventually took off. Uh, it took years, but after like, I I don't even know how long it took, but I've been doing it forever. Finally took off. And now I'm fully full-time fashion blogger. And then with some money that I was able to save up, we put it towards Casa Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. And started that. No, thank you for sharing that journey because I think, and I've said it so many times on the this podcast because it's just so true and it's never, you know, it's never not understated. I will say this in regards to people's path because a lot of times we just see where people are now. We see all the followers, we see all the success, we yeah. see all these things, but we don't often know the journey that somebody has taken to get there the many jobs, the many things that you didn't get paid for, the determination, failures, right? Like all of those things. We just see like, oh, yay. Oh my gosh. She's so awesome. She's so rad. Like this or overnight success. And it's like, no, they've been doing this for years. Yeah. You're like overnight in the last 15 years. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot that goes behind the scenes. And it was crazy because my parents the whole time were just like, what are you doing? Like, you're just taking photos of yourself. You're wasting your time. And it was nice to finally, like, in the end, be like, look, it was all for this. Like, it it worked out. Yes. No, that's awesome. How, so I'm I'm loving how, like, all of this ends up kind of funding now. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about, how did you even start? Like, what was the driving force that you're like, okay, I do this fashion blog. And this has been really successful. Now it's time it's a pandemic. We're in the middle of the pandemic. Let me start a new business. Yeah. Bad timing. Importing, importing artisan, you know, handmade wool rugs. Like how did that happen? So my husband and I had traveled around Mexico and I had always, like I had mentioned before, been in love with the textiles and I got sick of the fact that I would come here. And the only things that I would see was like, And they're beautiful in their own right, but it's not my style. And I know there's a lot of people are like me, like the only stuff I would see would be like the rugs or the, the Mexican textiles that are the very typical ones that you see, right? Like super colorful, a lot of patterns, the same bright, vivid colors, which is fine. But I, when I'd go, I would see such beautiful, minimal, like neutral, more earthy stuff. I was like, why? I don't understand why this isn't so prominent here. Like, why don't people know, recognize this from Mexico? It's so beautiful. And I feel like it's something so different from what's here. And I remember seeing, um, I might've seen like some photos on Pinterest of the way they like decorated 
I'm thinking, I'm, or maybe when I visited Mexico hotels, I'm not sure, but the way that things were like the interior design of it aspect, I really loved. And I wanted to initially start making my house like that. And then once we started traveling there and I saw the prices of everything and I'm like, you know what, we can totally bring this back over here and like share it with like Americans, like Mexicans know they can just like, and they're comfortable with traveling in Mexico and getting this stuff themselves. But like, why don't we start this year? And on top of that, it'd be really awesome to, for me as a Mexican woman, like as you know, from like, I'm telling you that I want, I've always wanted to be independent. I've never believed in like marrying a man and, and that whole side of the culture. I've never been into that. And I've always really wanted to find a way to lift up other women in Mexico as being a woman that I, I think I find I'm very privileged in the sense that I'm in the U S and I grew up here and my dad is from Mexico. Like I could have easily grown up in Ensenada, which is where he's from. But I got to grow up here with different kinds of opportunities. And I would love to be able to help Mexico in whatever capacity I can. And for me, I was like, this is a way that I would really enjoy it. You know, sharing this beautiful work by artisans that are over there killing it, doing it like techniques that they've been doing forever that are being copied by like World Market and Target and being sold in like a mass production, which is like so sad because it's killing this beautiful thing that they have over there. So my husband and I, we talked about it one day. I think I was really frustrated with my blog. I love my blog. It's amazing. But sometimes it gets really, um, it can be soul crushing. You're constantly putting out content for people to consume and I really, as much as it fulfills me and I know it inspires people, there's part of me that feels I want to do more than just, you know, show my outfits or even though I do talk about sustainability and, and, and I always try to promote like positive things. I just feel sometimes that your soul gets a little sucked out in doing that kind of work. So I had, I was fed up one day. I think I was having some issue with a brand that I had to turn into a brand sponsorship. And I told my husband, I was like, you know what? we need to create our own brands. Like, because even though I'm my own boss in the blog, I still have to work for other people as a freelancer. So I was like, I want to do my own thing. I want to do something that's with Mexico. I want to be able to travel to Mexico often. I want to find cool artisans. Like, let's do it. And he just like immediately, like if I showed you the text, it was just like, let's do it. When are we going? So it was so (laughs) cool. I was like, all right, let's do this. Let's let's go. So we planned, uh, we got tickets to Mexico. We went to Oaxaca because, um, I think Oaxaca has some beautiful artisans, beautiful textiles, and we love it. It's just an amazing place. And we researched a little and we found a collective of women that kind of separated themselves from the men in Mexico and said, we're doing our own thing. We're going to be our own bosses. And traditionally in this place, men are the rug weavers. And they were like, no, we're doing it ourselves. Like we're going to take this on. And um, they formed a women's collective and they help take care of their families and their community. And they get back to the community and do, they do all this awesome stuff. And I was like, that is exactly what I want to support. Like, I want to support women that are doing their own thing and like separating themselves from that, like very machista way of being in Mexico and are, you know, paving the way for themselves. And so we went out there, we met them. They were awesome. Uh, we immediately like connected with them and right then and there, we just bought a bunch of stuff 
took video, took photos, did everything we could, brought it home. And then my husband and I spent the next like six months just taking photos and video. And we created the whole website on our own from the ground up. Like we didn't hire anybody. The whole website was him and I, all the text, like everything. I think we hired somebody to do SEO because we don't understand that. We just needed him to help us with that. And then the pandemic hit and my husband was like, are we launching this right now? And I was like, well, let's do it. What are we going to do? Who knows when this is going to end and people are going to be home. People are going to be wanting to make their homes pretty. Like, let's just go for it. And so we did. And it's been, um, it's been fun. It's been interesting. It's a lot to learn. Like it's a whole different, it's a whole different beast. Like I don't, it's more intimidating than I thought it would be. Um, and there's still so much we have to learn about and grow and a lot of things that we're still tweaking to figure out as a company, as a small business, but I'm proud of what we were able to do. And considering that there was a pandemic in the middle of it, I mean, I think that's pretty cool that we were able to kind of like follow through. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I want it. Cause I was on, I've been on your website and these rugs are, are really beautiful. And those are my, like these types of rugs are more my style too in regards to just the simplicity of them. I agree. Like having, if you want something that's super colorful and everything too, I just tend to be more muted in mm-hmm. my design style as well. So I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. There's a couple of things that I just really want to point out for people that I found very beautiful when I was going through your website. First of all, on your landing page, on your, you're highlighting these artisans, you're showing like you're talking about these women who you're sourcing these rugs from. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then when you go into your about us page, you obviously have it, but you also really state your values, which I think a lot of people would appreciate. And the first one you're saying is anti-mass production, anti-factory, that your products are never mass produced. And that is something that, like you were saying, when you're going to Target or when you're going to Home Goods or when you're going, and look, I still go those places as well, right? right. It's not like you, you're just never going to go. But there are definitely certain things that we just need to be more aware of, of how we're purchasing and where we're right. purchasing them. And I like the way that you say, our reach will not outgrow our mission. And let me read what it says so people understand what I'm saying. It says, success is a good thing, but it's better when it's done ethically and carefully. If opportunities come up in the future for Casa Brixe to grow... We will not do so at the expense of our commitment and ideals. We will not change our strategy from collaboration with independent craftspeople and cooperatives to mass production in factories simply to fulfill more orders. We'd prefer to be sold out than to sell out. Girl, when I read that, <laughs> I was like, yes, yes, yes. I <laughs> so oh, I'm so glad that resonates. We took so long trying to get our mission like making sure that what we had in mind was like translated onto there. Oh yeah. And then obviously the final thing is you're talking about fair wages and you're talking about collaboration and enrichment, how they're prioritized. You don't negotiate. You said, we never negotiate with artisans. We pay them what they ask for. Plus give back a portion of our profits on an annual basis to a project of their choice. And as the company grows, you'll keep people up to date on the progress. Mm -hmm. That is awesome. I actually had somebody who was doing that with apparel, but the people that weren't charging enough. So they're like, you need to charge me more. <laughs> they're telling them the, the people you need to charge more. Like, yeah. 
because of what you're doing all of the time you're taking, but the, just the fact that, you know, you recognize that that's something that I think is very, very important because we know people in other countries do get taken advantage of for their labor. Mm-hmm. And the fact yeah. that you're like, you're, you don't want to do that. You want to make sure people are being paid what they ask right. and not trying to negotiate or undercut them. Every yeah. time I hear that, that's just that, that just is something that resonates with me. It's so powerful. And it's something that I wish more people would do. Yeah, I do too. And and I think that that's also, I mean, that is a big part of why I also was really excited about this business because I've always wanted to do something that gave back to the world in not just like sharing my culture, but also I wanted to do something that was more sustainable and had a little more meaning to it. And Mm -hmm. and I do love selling things in in home decor and whatever. And I'm like, well, what's the best way to to do this and like um, you know, not be assholes to our planet, you know, like how can we do this? We're in in the most like responsible, morally correct way, because right now everything's mass produced. Everyone pays less for more, you know, I mean, less for less really. Um, Yeah. Because I would rather pay more and have something that's going to last a long time than constantly giving stuff away. Like I've found when I clean out my closet, I used to do it every six months. I don't have to do it as much anymore because I buy things that I have for years. Mm-hmm. I don't want to buy things that I only have for one season and then I need to get rid of. No, exactly. It's so difficult. Yeah. Like you're just so constantly throwing clothes away and it's just endless. Yeah. I mean, that's something I a hundred percent understand because I'm a fashion blogger and it can like, I think also the fashion blog world has been something that's led me to this in a way because I've recognized how bad it, it like the fashion industry is for the world. And I've watched documentaries on it. I've like kind of infiltrated myself and seen like things about sustainability and all that. And I'm like, damn, this is okay. This is bad. So I think in a way, you know, I do the best that I can as a fashion blogger. I love fashion. I'm not going to stop loving fashion. I've tried to do it in the most responsible way that I can in the most conscious way that I can, you know, shop if you really need something, try to thrift, try to, you know, get something that's already used, maybe get something new. If you know, it's really good and worth it. And really you're going to have it for years and you can pass it down maybe, or resell it. But in doing that, I think there was a part of me that felt really guilty. And I was like, I need to do something more. I need something that's like, you know, helping people a little and like giving back and like teaching in a way. Yeah. So well, girl, since we live close to each other, where well, you're gonna have to take me thrift shopping because I'm gonna need a whole new wardrobe now. With this, oh, let's go! I'm so, I love thrifting. I'm so bad at it. I feel like I'm so horrible. I need somebody to help me. <laughs> no, I was thinking yesterday. I went thrifting yesterday, and I found so many gems, and I was like, I need to do a video on like thrifting tips for sure. Dude, let's do one. I'll talk, let's do one together because you can like yeah. take, like somebody who's so bad at it and be like, <laughs> Jessica says she's so bad at this. Is, That's this actually. Is great idea. <laughs> I do work in PR. So I got those ideas. Yeah. That, yeah. That was quick. That was good. I'm down. I'm down to do something like that. would be super fun. So you work with your husband on this. Mm-hmm. How is it working hand in hand with him? And then what differences have you had to work through? What strengths do you bring versus what he brings? So you guys can like make through because it can be like something that's like flourishes or it can be something that you want to kill each other. I'm sure. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, we luckily work really well together. 
he's really good at communicating, like really, really good, way better than me. And he makes me communicate stuff. If we're like not, something's not working out, we end up like sitting down and talking about it and finding a solution, which is awesome. Um, I think for us, it helps one that we both have our own spaces. Like this is my office. This is where I hang out. I can close my door and like do my own thing. And then he has his music room, which is a whole nother room and has his stuff. He hangs out there. So we do a lot of parallel play and even when we're working on Casa Barige, we do it in our own offices. So I think that's like a major thing. I don't have him on my, like behind, breathing on my neck every second. <laughs> I would go crazy for us. I, he's really good. He actually works in industrial real estate in Mexico. And he's really, really good at communicating with people, selling business, like finances, stuff, organizing outreach. He does a lot of cold calling. So like he can handle all that. Cause I'm horrible at that I don't like selling. I don't like talking to people. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I just don't want to deal with business stuff. And I take things very personal. So I'm really, really happy. He handles that. And then I love social media. So I handle all our content creation, social media, photography, um, just packing up stuff, talking to people, DMing, emails, stuff like that. Um, so it works out because he hates that stuff. So it's, it's kind of like a perfect balance. It's kind of hard because we both are very busy. We both have full-time jobs. So for us, the struggle in this business has been being able to understand how much time we need to give it. And we actually just talked about this like last week because we were like, darn, you know, we've kind of taken a step back from Casa Brige a little bit. We need to like bring this home again and start going hard on it. And we had to sit down and like talk about it. And we've realized that I think we're at the point where we've done everything that we can and we've tried to do this all on our own. And it's literally just John and me working on it. There's nobody else. And we've come to the realization that we're going to have to hire somebody because it's the only way to make this business really work. So I think come the new year, hopefully Gasari is going to have a lot more going on online and everything. Um, we're going to have, we're going to start looking for some people to work under us and we're, we're um, ready to put some more money into it and see where it takes us. I love that. That's so awesome. And I can't wait to see where it goes. With all of these designs and everything, are these things that you have input on or do you just let these women, they're like super awesome. So you just let them kind of do their thing. So right now, um, our, we have a very limited amount of designs on there. And so far that's because we're trying to figure out what people like, what kind of, are they actually going to go for the minimal stuff that I'm into? Are they going to go for something a little more like, I don't know. There's some that look even a little Western-y. Like, are they going to go for that vibe? So right now we have a limited style. We do do custom work. We've done two in the past and they didn't sell as much. These women know what they're doing. We definitely want to like continue to do custom stuff in the future. But as of now, I'm seeing that people are really liking exactly what they're doing. We've tried to do some custom stuff that is off of their design. So for me, it's really important to make sure that it's authentic to Mexico and to the roots of these women. And they use a lot of very, very traditional and old symbols and stuff in their designs. Even if it's like very minimal design, it'll have roots in that. So when we would do like our custom designs, we'd made sure that it was still using those symbols and stuff, but maybe tweaked the colors or like moved it around a little bit. But like I said, they know what they're doing. They know what sells. So this time around, I, or I just ordered some new stuff from them. And I was like, you tell me what you love and send me those. And then I just okay them. And then I'm like, all right, send those over. Like, 
let's, let's see what people like, you know? Yeah. So they know what they're doing and they're really good at it. And I have a really good relationship with them. So I just talk to them a lot and I'm like, Hey, this rug's not selling. What do you think? What do you think we should do now? Like, what's your input? What are people buying? And they typically know what they're doing. And hopefully we're hoping that in the future, we can go out to Mexico and find a couple more artisans that we can show off their stuff here. Maybe some like ceramics and stuff like that. How do you communicate with them? Is it through WhatsApp or is it? Mm-hmm. Through like, yeah, that's what I figure. Cause that's, I've yeah. had other people, that's how they, they communicate. What do you see in the future? I know you said maybe doing some ceramics and stuff, but like, what do you kind of envision Casabrije to be? So I would love it to just be only Mexican artisans. I want it to be a place where you can get home decor. I don't know, maybe, maybe even um, like wall tapestries, pillows, side tables, stuff like that. Just anything that is home and easy to transport, very neutral, very minimal, all artisanal products um, from different States in Mexico. That's what I'm hoping. I don't, because I know there's websites out there that do this kind of thing and they do it well, but a lot of them have from different parts of the world. The ones that I've seen are like, you know, India or Peru or, or a mix of everything. But I, not that I know yet, unless it's in Mexico, haven't really seen one that's in the US that is only things of Mexico. Um, so that's what I'm hoping. And I'm hoping that we can eventually have enough money under our belt that we can start to like gift some stuff to people to show for us and like promote in their homes, you know, or even do local markets and stuff would be cool for us. But yeah, I just want to expand it a little. I want to expand and have a very curated set of artisans from different parts of the world. And our hope is that if we can make enough money that we can start giving back even more because we really want to give back to these places that were, I don't want to just like take their product and like sell it here. You know, I want, I, my hope is that we're showing off like the art and the, and the Mexican culture. And then at the same time, giving back to the people that are making this and sharing with people. So right now we're making sales, but not enough to do something that would be really, really beneficial to them. So hopefully if we can eventually get like a good role going, really, really selling and get more artisans on board and more products, we can actually maybe do our own charity, you know? So that's what we're taught in talks of, but might be a while till we get there. But, uh, you know, even slow growth is growth, right? Yeah. You know, I'm sure you don't want to be like super slow, but as long as you're growing and you know, you keep the same vision that you have stated on your website, I have no doubt that that will happen. Yeah. Well, how do you figure in regards to, because obviously you're paying these artisans, you have to make your own money. How do you figure out what those markups are? So you are making a profit without being exploitative Yeah. and still maintaining your vision of what you're saying? Because I can, I would imagine that would be a really like that's a really fine wire to walk. How do you yeah. do that? Um, so I feel like I wish my husband was here because he's better answering this. But for us, it that was a hard part figuring out what we were charging. Because at the end of the day, when you get this transported over, you know, the shipping cost and the... Um, uh, oh, like the tariff? Yeah, the tariff and the shipping um, and then the rug on its own plus packaging and shipping is already so much per rug. So 
the rugs themselves on their own, if you're in Mexico, aren't a lot, but then you add on everything else and it costs a lot. So we figured, I think we did like a percentage that we thought would be fair to pay ourselves back. And then a percentage on top of that to save up, to give back to the women. I can't tell you the exact, because that's something my husband would know better, but we definitely wanted to make sure we also looked at like uh, other people that were selling like products. And we Mm -hmm. tried to do it a little less than them and, and make it slightly more affordable for people while still making a little bit of a profit for ourselves. I mean, obviously that's understandable because you have to make a profit. If you're not making a profit, you can't do You got to make a profit. If not, it doesn't make sense, but we wanted to make sure. Yeah. So there was a point where we actually underpriced it and we had it like that for like a little bit. And then we were like, you know what? We're not making profit here. We got to bring it up a little bit, but we definitely wanted to keep it under our competitors because I'm confident to, in thinking that people would, I mean, I'm probably wrong. I'm, this is more wishful thinking. I'm hoping that people would come to the source, you know, like an actual Mexican woman that's working directly with artists and then paying more money for a random company that is like in New Zealand or something, you know? Yeah. I think more people, when they hear this story, I think, I feel like more people are leaning towards that, like trying to go for the source, but what do I know? I mean, well, it's, it's hard because it's like, we were talking, you can just go to target or world market and get a rug that looks semi-similar, you know, like I was talking to my mom's friends and they were just like, I can get that for way cheaper at world market. And I was like, yeah, but that's mass produced. Like, are you buying from just like anybody or do you actually care where that rug comes from? Do you care who makes it? Do you care like how their life is affected? You know, like I'm hoping that we're going to reach the audience that actually cares. So that's our goal. Hopefully we're reaching the right people. Yes. Mi gente care. I know you guys care. So um, I want to be respectful of your time and everything. So I want to make sure that if there's anything that I haven't asked or anything that you want to add, that you have the opportunity to do so. Is there anything else you want to share? No, I would just say com. If you guys can check out the rugs next time you're looking for a little rug, even a Christmas gift. I don't know when this is coming out, but um, I don't know. It'll come out right. I think right around like that week of Christmas, I think. So Last Christmas, Christmas gift, New Year's <laughs> gift. Yeah. Um, you know, these rugs come directly from the women. There, There's no middleman. It's directly from them to us. And it'd be helping us to support our dream as yes. well. We always want to support others, not just small businesses, but businesses that come from communities of color and Latino businesses, obviously, because yeah. that's who we are. So you said um, the website, casabrije.com, that's C-A-S-A-B-R-X-E.com. Yes. And then what are your social media handles? So uh, our casabrije is, I believe it's just at casabrije. I think it's casa underscore brije. Yes. And then mine, if you want to check out mine, is at Frank Vinyl, V-I-N-Y-L. Yeah. So check it out, mi gente. Go, go look at their stuff. Give feedback. If you have questions, like message yes. Francesca on the Casabrije Instagram or, you know, I'm sure she will, she would be grateful to hear what you guys think because that helps her. Yes, absolutely. To, to figure out what can be on the website. So Francesca, thank you so much. Okay. I can't wait to go thrifting with you. I'm super excited. <laughs> We're going to make yeah, it happen. <laughs> me too. Thanks for having me. Great Until job. Next time, mi gente. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. For more information on today's guest, 
please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Cheese Met on our website, thewineandcheesemetpodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Cheese Mint on Instagram and at The Wine and Cheese Mint Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Cheese Mint, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated 